What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, you're back. How was California and New York? They were awesome, man. I uh, just made me, you know, miss the South a little bit. You know, everybody comment on my accent and everything, but had a great time. Had that dual premiere for Actor Age uh, on Bounce TV, like I was talking about. Got to, you know, interact with those those great professional ladies. So it was my first like dual, <laughs> like dual city red carpet event. So we, you know, we've done some red carpet premieres in Atlanta in the past, but it's really big for us. So I was really proud of my team and kind of how we pulled it out. So yeah, it was, you know, I, I love travel. Obviously it's like we talked about and figuring it out, you know, I'd always love to travel for fun. Traveling for work is I view it like a business trip, but at the same time, proud of, you know, we got our objectives done. So that's what business is about, right? Wait a minute. You get people that ask you about your accent when you're in New York and LA. I, I don't think you have an accent at all. I, I think you, I would not be able to to pinpoint where exactly you're from by if I didn't know you. I have an incredibly weird diction. Like it's not even really Southern. The way I speak is really weird because it's a hodgepodge. And so people are like, people guess where I'm from and they pick like when they're up North, they don't have no concepts. They're like, yeah, you from like Kentucky or something? I'm like, no. And so, yeah, I, I get yeah. a lot of like, and at least being like an Atlanta based crew, a lot of the time people expect it. But when you talk to like the real, like I talked to this dude in the plane who was from Long Island. It just, we barely could understand each other. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. I, I just I would never be able to pinpoint. Whereas I, I think there are definitely certain things that I say where my Yankee comes out, as some would like to say, and mm-hmm. that's that's natural. That's even though I've lived here for almost eight years, that's not going away anytime soon. Orlando isn't the South. I know Southerners don't get mad at me for saying that. All I'm saying is that that doesn't you can't take the the true Chicago accent out of me, as Lauren likes to remind me. Um, we had a race over the weekend. Let's just say your boy met his goals. We both met our goals. That that was what last week was all about. Just meeting our goals and be able to business trip to the finish line is what you were on. Exactly. Exactly. Will. Yes. 10 K goal was hit 47, 31, 739 mile big victory for, for myself personally to finish top 50. Didn't even had no concept of what that was going to be, but top 50 overall Um, as tired as I have ever been, during a race and after a race, but in a good way, in a good way, like paced your, I paced myself at the rate that I was comfortable with. And I didn't, I didn't finish thinking I, you know, pushed hard too early or, you know, maybe left a little bit too much in the tank. It was, it was not that it was the right amount of gas and trust me running in that humidity. It was 87% humidity on Saturday morning. It was like 73 at the start at the absolute coolest. It's a hot freaking race, man. It was a hot race to Look, run. If you guys want to, you know, make fun of Connor for being a Yankee, that's fine. But we've confirmed he has SEC speed. He was able to make it in the humidity. He was able to place top 50 with all these Floridians. All right. So at least put some respect on that name. Second, you, you forgo the Fettuccine Alfredo at the start of the race. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you the last time I actually had Fettuccine Alfredo, despite what I tweeted the night before. Um, I haven't had Fettuccine Alfredo since I was in college. Wow. And I was like, no, this just ain't my thing. It's just not. Never liked Fettuccine Alfredo. I don't know. I, not my thing. Never has been, never will be. Chicken parm through and through. If there's Fettuccine mm-hmm. Alfredo, there is always chicken parm available. Give me chicken parm every single time. Well, while you were running, I'll let you know, I was stuffing my face with New York chicken parm. So nice. look at that. Just two different ends of the same spectrum. <laughs> love it. Love it. Doing the exact same thing. Uh, we've got a great show today. Great, great show. The boss hog himself, Sam Pittman. He's going to join us in a bit. Great conversation with the Arkansas coach. Uh, we're going to close with a little bold and brash ahead of the SEC tournament. And then we've got lat of the week as well. But first, 
NFL Combine was over the weekend. We've got some some Combine revelations, some big Combine revelations. Learned a lot of new things in Indy. That was redundant. Learned a lot of things in Indy over the weekend. So I thought we'd just kind of go through them. We'll stick to the SEC things that we learned about. Uh, Were the people so- nice to Indianapolis? Do you feel like it was fairly respected this time around? I have no idea uh, because people go to Indianapolis every year for that. So it's the same yes. crowd. So Fair. you don't get a true gauge of what do people now think of Indy. The people that have been going to Indy for the combine have been going there for 20 or 30 years. Like Thanks. no joke whatsoever. So no, no revelations on just the city of Indianapolis as a whole revelation about Darnell Washington. He's large. He's a big human being. Uh, I had no idea until we saw his official measurements that he was indeed a giant 6'7", 264 pounds, 11 inch hands, basically a seven foot wingspan, ran a 4.6440 with a 10 uh, yard split, which like in dating back to 2003, it was the second longest broad jump for a tight end north of 260 pounds. A lot of different caveats there, but you get what I'm saying. Let me be the first to say that Darnell Washington, different, definitely different. Personally, I always thought that Georgia was kind of bumping up all of his height and weight when I watched him, you know, running over and through SEC defenders. I I thought it was just CGI. So I, to me, like that was way off of my radar. When I saw it in person, I actually told myself that I was just daydreaming because surely human beings who are 6'7", 264 pounds cannot do the things that Darnell Washington can do. I had no idea that he could run block so well. When I saw that video of him watching watching him just plow through the sled, I was like, whoa, who is this guy? Sign him up. Maybe pay him to play football professionally. Uh, so yes, Darnell Washington rising on my big board. Very much so after that performance. Impressive. Yeah, that sled thing was unreal, man. He had a one-handed grab as well. I mean, like, I I was tuning into local Georgia sports radio today just trying to hear the reaction of the Derek Carr news from them, and they just kept talking about Darnell Washington, and they have every reason to because, I mean, yeah, that's as a workout appreciator, watching all these other, like, big tight ends kind of, like, fairy dance with that sled and then watching him just be like, cool, so we're taking these groceries upstairs and just, like, picking it up. I was like... I don't think you're supposed to do that, actually. But the fact that you can, I feel like they won't stop you. <laughs> that sled was uh, that that was no match for Darnell Washington. Um, that was just unbelievable to watch. Speaking of freaks from Georgia, Nolan Smith, athlete. That's what we learned at the combine. Mm-hmm. I didn't really expect a whole lot from Smith because it wasn't like he was a former number one overall recruit who became one of Georgia's best defensive players for a program who won consecutive national titles. I had expectations low. If he were those things, all right, that's different, but he wasn't. <laughs> so, you know, I thought he was more of like a system guy, but then I saw the show that he put on in Indy, not a system guy. It was a show. It was 41 and a half inch vertical, ran a 43940 at 238 pounds. They had the side by side of Smith's numbers compared to Saquon Barkley. Nolan Smith, beast confirmed. I did not know that after his four year career at one of the most high profile programs in America, needed the combine to be able to tell me that. All jokes aside, the video that Brooks Austin tweeted out of, of Noah Smith running the 40, Georgia teammates are, you know, watching it back in the facility. They're freaking out. Like that, that's the type of content I'm here for. That's just dudes mm-hmm. hyping up dudes. We love that. Love to see that. A lot of draft experts were hyping up Smith after hearing him at the podium because they clearly didn't know that he's one of the most thoughtful athletes you'll ever meet. And if you listen to him for like, I don't know, two seconds, you can tell why he was a captain of that team and he was there for four years. But yep. revelation, revelation nonetheless to see Nolan Smith shine on that stage. 
yeah, no, I, I think that's the funny thing, right? Is like, okay, let me ask you this, you know, because you, I hate to put you on the spot, but would you rather have Smith or Walker? Sorry, Trayvon? Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, uh, gosh. See, that's, the, that's so tough to answer, though, because we've <laughs> seen a year of Trayvon in which it's been like, it's been a little bit hit and miss. It's definitely been more hit and miss. I probably would go Nolan Smith. I probably would go Nolan Smith. And that's just because, gosh, and I hate even saying this because I, I don't think Trayvon, it's fair to say like, oh, he's a bust based on one year or anything like that. He mm-hmm. wasn't taken to be an all pro from year one. It was always going to be long-term with the Jags, even though I thought they would have been better off playing it a little bit safer. I still like going for the more proven thing. Nolan Smith is a proven player. He absolutely is. And if you give me the sack numbers, I would say, actually watch him play football. Tell me more. Tell me about the way that he impacts the game. Tell me what he means to a specific defense. And if you just say, oh, they won a national championship without him. He wasn't that valuable. I'd still push back on that. I'd say they won a national title despite that. Um, But yeah, I'd probably give a slight edge to Nolan Smith over Trevon. And I, mm, I didn't, I've never made that comp before though. I never have. But it's interesting, right? Because all of the, I think that Walker, in ways, answered questions after his season last year. And I think that as dumb as we are, like as smart as we think we are, we are fundamentally kind of dumb as human beings. And I think that Walker's path is going to pave the way for Nolan since they have similar backgrounds as far as being big recruits, playing for Georgia, kind of like situationally, never totally, totally living up to what we thought they could be in shorts. But when you see them in shorts, you're like, oh, this guy could be like a 10, 15 year pro. So I think that that's kind of the, the Georgia system is that, yeah, you get these freaks that don't even show as much on tape because they're surrounded by other freaks. And so, yeah, I think it's a great position to be in if you're Nolan Smith. Yeah, and I, I think that just from watching Walker in one-on-one matchups, you're still kind of left wondering, is he going to figure this out? Is is he going to be crafty enough to understand like how to develop as a pass rusher in that way? Because that, that part still needs to come, whereas I think Smith already has some of those traits. And when you combine mm-hmm. it with the athleticism, yeah, I mean, I'd probably give a slight edge to Nolan Smith. That's the answer of the person who's watched more college football than the NFL, of course. And the NFL people would definitely say Walker and not even probably think about it. Right. No, 100%. Yeah, I think, like I said, it's just it's just a great situation to be in overall. And I think that Georgia fans have got to be smiling new to ear because as good as these guys look after the season, seems like everybody's getting better, you know, other than, I guess, Stetson with his, like, off-the-field stuff. But, I mean, you know, what do you expect? You know, like, it's not like he was going to be top 10 anyway, you know? That's true. Very, very true. Other revelation, Anthony Richardson is Cam Newton 2.0. <laughs> again. Not again. I know. I know. I was expecting Richardson to show up at the combine, run like a 5-240, maybe a sub-10 broad jump, 28-inch vertical. Um, no, he didn't do that. Uh, I actually didn't believe those backflip videos of him were real. Again, CGI is powerful. You know this. He could have easily been getting away with that. If you didn't know any better, you'd think some draft experts were under the impression that all of those incompletions were CGI as well. They were not. We saw them. Um, but no, they uh, they instead drooled all over Anthony Richardson throwing against air and NFL Network decided to throw up the Cam Newton side by side. I've got a fun new exercise that we should do. Every time we get a physically imposing black quarterback in the SEC, if we can go their entire career without comparing them to Cam Newton, I will then make Cam Newton their draft comp. Let's do that. Does that sound good? Because that's what we should be doing more often. If playing football wasn't part of the evaluation, I'd love the Anthony Richardson, Cam Newton comp. 
maybe it is part of the evaluation. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. And by playing football, I mean, when you actually look beyond the five minute highlight clip of Richardson making these jaw dropping plays and you combine it with what you saw at the combine, just because you want to be excited about something. And I think the people that are pro Richardson, that's really what this is more about. They want something. They're trying to wish it into existence. But that was to me like a clear revelation was just seeing that Anthony Richardson freak athlete. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you look beyond those five-minute highlight clips, you would see a lot that was left to be desired. That apparently was all Billy Napier's fault. Can't expect someone to shine when they don't have NFL talent around them, unless you're Cam Newton, of course. Um, <laughs> the actual Cam Newton did, but okay. The, the, Cam, the actual Cam Newton, not the 50 dudes that have been compared to him lazily. Uh, by the way, I, I think we can say that Billy Napier struggled with figuring out the right buttons to push with Richardson. We talked about that a lot. But if we're out here pretending like his shortcomings were just totally out of his control, like wh- what are we doing? What what the hell are we doing? The guy got two years with Dan Mullen. He had a year with Brian Johnson. And if you're like, oh, well, he's just raw and he, he'll develop with more reps. I agree with you. College is a great place to get reps would have made a lot more sense to me. That's I, again, I'm the college guy. I'm not the NFL guy. I'm admitting my bias here. Like if you think Richardson was just purely a victim of his circumstances, you're telling on yourself that you've only want that you've only watched the highlights and you just want to believe in something that that's really what this comes down to. I want to see the best version of Anthony Richardson. I think that would be so much fun to watch from my butt at home, watching on TV on a given Sunday. That would be great. But I almost just want to tell all these people like, You remember that there's a game that these guys are playing and it helps if you're good at it. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Richardson uh, did not have a revelation that he was good at football. All of a sudden didn't have that there just still missing for me personally, but he's Cam Newton 2.0. So he'll figure it out. Yeah. His RAS score. I was waiting in delight for like 10 out of 10, like number one in the history of the RAS for a quarterback. And it's like, bro, like what did you expect exactly to your point? I saw uh, one second time I was talking about Georgia sports radio, but I, I heard one of their bumps, you know, they do like the updates. They were like ESP radio. And they were like Richardson, like listen to those measure- measurements. And then the dude takes a breath and he goes, but he had more hundred yard games in college than he had 300 yard games. It just started listing slander. And I was like, this is what I expected of Georgia sports radio. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I mean, this is one of the classic like college and NFL guys never see eye to eye. And like all the NFL guys think all the college guys are stupid. And it's like, oh, well, clearly if you're in that college offense, you can't expect him to hit a wide open receiver five yards down the field. And it's like, bro, he missed throws that I've seen my high school quarterback make. And he was five, eight, like seriously. And so like point being like, it's one of those things that if you think you know the answer, do I think it could be worth a flyer if you really believe in your system? If you were Andy Reid or like a Sean Payton type figure, like somewhere maybe, but at the same time, it's like, I would be terrified to gamble my team's future on him based on the asking price. If you told me you could get him like they got hurts in the second or third round sure. and like spend some time figuring it out and have a incumbent ahead of him. But like you said, he needs time. And, and, and once you got the evaluation packet back and you knew he was going to be in the first round or close to it, like, of course, go pro, like, cause you will never get there again. I'm not being yes. mean, yeah, but if we that. saw him for another year, there's no shot he goes that high because then people have time to actually view him as a first round pick. So take the money and run. I get it, but you got to be smart about your career and say, okay, maybe there's some teams. If you're in the original at this point, you just say, I'm not going there. Like if you see a dysfunctional team that, you know, you're going to need some time to figure out and they're not going to give it to you. If you've written it this far, keep writing it, dude. It's a great point. It's a great point. It's something that that I, in my frustration, tend to forget about. Like if he had come back and the way that he would have been picked apart and the way that, in my opinion, he wasn't. 
He absolutely wasn't. Isn't it oh, so yeah. weird that the longer these guys are in school, the more they get picked apart for actually playing football and we find yep. something wrong with them. Whereas if they go early, we're just trying to fight with, we're trying to find what's right with them. And yep. Anthony Richardson is a perfect case of that because I mean, I think he would have gotten better. I still think he would have been picked apart in a different sort of way. And it wouldn't have been this new and exciting thing because we were like, all right, well, we've already seen the unbelievable plays. We saw the, you know, the, the pump fake against Utah. We saw the run against LSU where you somehow got faster in the final 30 yards and you hit the turbo button. Like we saw you do these incredible things already. You're not going to wow us in the same sort of way. We want to see the consistency, but that's different in terms of the way that I think he projects to the NFL. There's difference between like his NFL draft stock and capitalizing on that as you pointed out in the smart way and actually thinking, Oh my God, this guy's about to change the NFL. I'm not there. Mm -hmm. Definitely not there. Jalen Hyatt isn't fast. That's another revelation I had thought he run a four, two, nine. He ran a four, four. He's dropping way down on my, on my draft board. What a bum, a four, four, Cotter. Four, four. Gosh, uh, slow-mo. <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious, man. Uh, get a calendar for that speed. I always he thought he was somewhere praying. He could run a four, praying every day unbelievable i always thought that jalen hyatt was just a system guy and when he was dusting sec corners i thought it was really just about tennessee running the up-tempo offense he's getting these guys on their heels not fast uh combine confirmed that he's never going to be able to get open in the nfl he would have though he would be able to get open in the nfl if he could run that 429 without pads i'm convinced of that so i mean Nolan Smith ran a better 40 than him. What does that say if linebackers can run faster than Jalen Hyatt? I mean, come on. Like, dude, you're everybody's going to be able to guard you. It's funny. Listen, to me. One day he'll live up to the hype of being a great wide receiver like John Ross, right? A name yes. that we've all heard. Great point. So speaking of that, Will, the fastest receivers ever at the combine, John Ross, Jerome Mathis, Marquise Goodwin, Tyrone Calico. Sure. Sure. JJ Nelson, Jacoby Ford, those guys, how many thousand yard receiving seasons have they had in the NFL combined? Zero. As many as you and I will. Zero. Goose egg, zip, nada. They made money running a 4 240, though. They absolutely mm -hmm. did. I I think the question with Hyatt, it, it isn't speed. It's not speed. Like, dude can jet. I don't care if it's a four, four compared to a four, two, nine, if he runs like a four, eight, all right, let's have a conversation running a four, four. If that scares you off Jalen Hyatt, you're an idiot. The question is likely more about the route tree. Is he going to be able to kind of adapt, fine tune those skills? That's so important, obviously with the next level, Matt Miller brought up a great point about this and it doesn't guarantee success. It just doesn't mean that his path to success is blocked. DK Metcalf, didn't exactly operate in an offense at Ole Miss wherein they're running a billion different routes. The knock on him was, all right, we know the physical gifts are there, the north-south speed, all of that, but the change of direction, what you're going to need to be able to, su to succeed at the NFL, the route running that comes with it, is he going to be savvy enough to be able to fine-tune those skills, get in and out of his breaks so that not all of his catches are contested? You'd like to be able to see him do that. And sure enough, that's what he has done. Jalen Hyatt's path to the NFL, like success, having any sort of NFL success is going to be probably more dependent on that than whether or not he has straight line speed. He's got mm -hmm. straight line speed with or without pads. If you don't think that he does because he ran in the four fours, um, ask yourself how you would have reacted if you ran a four, three, nine, because that's what we're talking about here. Very stupid. Very stupid. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Like, I, I think your point is like, 
Yeah, I mean, film kind of doesn't lie when it comes to some of these SEC guys. And I think, too, he has lots of experience operating out of slot, which I think is a really big deal in the NFL. People underestimate how hard it is to just move the way that Lockett did and be like, hey, you know what? I'm just a slot guy now. So I think that his versatility is a benefit to him. But exactly like your points, like my questions didn't change at all. <laughs> yeah, that that definitely wouldn't for me. Like you, you either kind of liked what you saw in college and, and, you're, and you're willing to work with his skill set or – that's just not going to be your thing. You know, maybe you don't need, uh, you don't necessarily want to target a slot receiver. A guy who's going to play probably mostly in the slot. That's going to, I'd be surprised if that wasn't his role, at least early in his career. Um, like maybe that's not what you're looking for in the early rounds. All right, fine. But yeah, running a four two nine versus a four four, that's not make or break. Okay. Other revelation. Bryce Young is officially big enough to play quarterback. Huge revelation. The biggest revelation from what happened in Indy over the weekend is that Bryce Young is big enough to play quarterback in the NFL. When I was a kid, Will, we used to go to Door County, Wisconsin. We would we'd go there for vacation every single summer. I've talked about Door County because my mom still got a lake house up there. Uh, shout out to the few people listening to this who actually know where Door County is, know what I'm talking about. There's six people, seven people listening to this who know that, maybe. Um, but anyways, I remember that you had to be, I think it was 50 inches to ride the go-karts by yourself. That was a big deal. If you can get to this height, you're going to be able to ride those go-karts by yourself. And every year we'd go back and I just hope and pray that I was finally tall enough to be able to ride those go-karts by myself. When I was measuring myself at home on that door in the pantry, like right there, I'm like, I got to be go-kart height. That's the goal. Like, just get me to go-kart height. Anything else is on the table after that. I think one year we even brought like the bigger heels. Like we got the Brian Kelly. Balance. Not, not the quite Brian the Kelly. Brian Kelly, but like, you know, I, I was like, that was definitely in consideration when we were getting new shoes. That mm-hmm. was, we, we need to make sure we got the heel right. You know, we're doing what we can to try and get there. And it usually ended up with disappointment for me. But let me tell you, that was the best 18th birthday I could have ever hoped for. It was great. It was awesome. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it felt like some people were watching the the Bryce Young weigh-in to decide if he's capable of being a worthy top pick. If you are basing your decision on whether Bryce Young was like, if, if your entire deal was dependent on him being above or below 200 pounds, you're beyond idiotic. You are. I'm sorry. It, it it either terrifies you when he leaves the pocket or it doesn't. Six pounds is not going to make or break his career. It's just not. I'm sorry. That's like going on a date with a woman, having her check all of your proverbial boxes, and then you're like, well, she drives a Honda. And I really pictured myself with someone who drives like an Acura or better. <laughs> so let's just not do this. Let's. I know. You're my dream girl. I get it. Like, we're... But no, this isn't going to work for me. If you love Bryce Young, his pre-combine intake of protein shakes to be able to get to 204 pounds, I'm convinced he definitely was doing that all week and all month probably. Like that should not sway your opinion of him. And if you don't love Bryce Young and you'd rather just sleep easier drafting a bigger quarterback, then the weigh-in shouldn't have mattered. Anthony Richardson's right there, man. Go ahead. Sure. Go ahead. I'll take Bryce Young. You take Anthony Richardson. That's fine. We can do that. The revelation... That Bryce Young is 5'10 and a quarter, 204 pounds, should have been more about curiosity than anything else. Like th- that, that to me is what this comes down to. I doubt that Bryce Young ever has and ever will play a down of football competitively at 204 pounds. I don't think that's going to happen in the NFL. 
it's been pretty well documented how narrow he is, and he's not built in the same way that Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson, these shorter quarterbacks, Drew Brees, the way that these guys have been built. But that, to me, is not necessarily going to make or break a few pounds here or there. If you're disappointed that he didn't work out and throw against air, I'd maybe say watch his two years as a starter in the toughest <laughs> league in America, wherein he actually took as many sacks as Will Levis. If you're desperate for some side-by-side -side of Bryce compared to other quarterbacks, I'll just I'll, I'll give you the rundown. Like You don't, you know, you don't need, need anything else. You don't need CGI to be able to, to put him into those situations. I'll just give it to you for you. All right, this is how it is. He's not as big as Anthony Richardson or Will Levis big revelation he's right. not as explosive of an athlete as probably either of those guys huge revelation against air eh, i think cj stroud would probably beat bryce young in just a standard workout i i'd probably take cj stroud in that that's fine um and by the way i like stroud I, i'm no longer opposed to him being a top 10 pick like i was before that georgia game i think he's re i think he really really showed a lot and what he did when Jalen Carter was in his face. And to me, that was incredibly impressive. But the thing about Bryce Young, when the bullets are flying, that dude doesn't just survive. Like he thrives. That is He's when that he dude. is on it. He is that dude. And if you don't believe that, tell me if you've ever had to watch your team defend that guy. Tell me. Cause it's not fun. It ain't, it's not. And the amount of times that I've said that about Bryce Young during his college career, it is extremely high. So you can say, yeah, like, it, and I agree. It would be better if Bryce Young was 6'3", 230 pounds. I'm, I'm not denying that, okay? That would be great. He wasn't going to show up at the combine to be 6'3", 230. Like, that was never going to happen. And we knew that. Like, there were people expecting him maybe to weigh like 170 pounds. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You really yeah. think that guy is going to show up at the combine having all of this chatter about his weight, and he's going to show up and weigh 170, 175 pounds? Like, I get the scrutiny. And if I'm Bryce Young, I'm absolutely putting on that weight because why wouldn't you? You'd be stupid not to put on that weight. We talked about it with the Jalen Carter thing. The difference between the number one pick and the number 10 pick in terms of guaranteed money, 19 million bucks. That's a yeah. lot of money. Why wouldn't you put on that weight? Drink those protein shakes. Have that whole milk, man. Help yourself to another burger. You earned it. Go get to 204 pounds. He did. Here's another question. How many first round quarterbacks had promising careers that were just totally derailed by injuries. I mean, like totally derailed. Lots of promise, got off to a great start, just not quite durable at the level that you wanted them to be at. Maybe Sam Bradford, he was 6'4", 224. I mean, even if he had stayed healthy, I'm not sure that he was ever going to be a superstar. He was a nice yeah. player. but And he came eh. back as a senior too. All of his, all the hay was in the barn for his draft status. He just, just subtracted from it. It didn't matter because he's still at number one overall. Exactly. Like, I, and I liked Sam Bradford too. And I thought he did a lot of things well, but I, I don't know that you would say like he was on that sort of trajectory and, and injuries, you know, totally prevented that from happening. Like right. Cam's career definitely was shortened by injuries, even at six, five two forty five. If he had played a different style, Cam is still a quarterback in the league and is still oh, you mean his NFL career. Okay. His gotcha. NFL career. Yeah, yeah. Just talking gotcha. about NFL career with this. Um, part of that though, like if you are six, five, 245 is that you can take on more punishment. So you, you do. And I wouldn't even say that Cam's career was derailed. I mean, the guy won an MVP, like he, he had a very good NFL career. He'll be in conversations probably to go to the hall of fame. Like I, I'm not saying he will be, but he'll at least be in that conversation. Right. RG three. 
is a what if. Oh, RG3 is a good one. Yeah. That's that's an interesting one. I still think he would have been better suited if he had come along five years later. I think that would have been fascinating with how synonymous college NFL offenses became a little bit later in the decade. But um, even that, you're still like, ah, you know, the sample size is still just so unbelievably small. And playing in Washington, you're just kind of assuming that no quarterback can ever succeed there, much like my Chicago Bears. Um, But the one that stands out the most when I was thinking about this, in terms of a 21st century first-round quarterback who had his career derailed by injuries, Andrew Luck, right? Andrew Luck is, he has the Will Levis mindset. Took hits, hates sliding. If he throws a pick, he's going to want to cleat the guy going the other way. Yeah, famously did that. Like that, that is his deal. Um, always thought that he could play through kind of any sort of injury. Tough as hell. You totally understand why you'd want to build a franchise around a guy like that. And I mean, Andrew Luck was is physically gifted as a prospect like that there was entering the pre-draft process I, yet. Like, why did he retire before the age of 30? Cause the Colts culture made... stupid. Exactly. Well, exactly. They made very bad personnel decisions and Andrew Luck really never changed his mindset because if you listen to the, the, the podcast and the athletic um, all about Andrew Luck that um, Zach Kiefer did, I think that was like a year ago, maybe a little bit less. I thought he was pretty invincible. He did. And I know that Bryce Young knows his limitations. I think he does. I really like when you watch him, that guy never has to be told, hey, you know, you really shouldn't be taking on this, this, and this. Like that is such an underrated thing, in my opinion, in terms of a guy playing the quarterback position at a high level, either in college or in the NFL. You can absolutely overcome some of those physical limitations if you know what they are, as long as you can make the throws, which he can. He absolutely can. Today's NFL, there are more ways to skin a cat than just one. There are. And I don't know who these sickos are. We're out here skinning cats. We don't know who they are. But all I know is that if I were the Colts or the Texans, I would absolutely trade up to number one overall. I would take Bryce Young, and I'd probably give the Bears like the Ricky Williams deal, something like that. Go Google that one, kids. Best trade ever. Please don't. So, yeah, a couple of things on that. Uh, How long do you think the line for the bathroom was after Bryce Young did his measurements? You think in like 10 minutes it took him to get all that water? way too long the amount of people that probably like sit there and set their like because it was at 10 o'clock it was at 10 o'clock on saturday morning and we got to figure this out like is is your is anything impact what so if it's 197 is that any different than if he's 204 like that's that's going to change things for you cool right well the thing that kills me too and it goes exactly back to the cam newton thing is it's like we get so lazy with our like uh, comparisons, and honestly, that that Luck Levis thing just kind of blew my mind. I'm sure plenty of plenty of people have said that, but that was the first time I've ever thought to compare those two people. Very similar lads. I got to tell myself that Luck is a little bit different with the way he was raised and the way his mentality, just to like not totally just sell out and want Levis because I love Levis. But like those guys are very similar. Other than a lot of the weird things about Luck as far as going to Stanford, having that, like whatever. But but point being, one thing that I find to be very very tough is like comparing Bryce Young to Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was the number one pick in baseball. Um, Kyler Murray is an athlete that is so 1% that is just, he could have gone pro literally in either sport. And so if you see them together, there is a width to Kyler Murray that you don't get with Bryce Young. Bryce Young's height was never my question about him. It was his weight and his girth, his (laughs) weird phrase, but his width, right? So I think that if you're expecting Kyler Murray out of Bryce Young, 
you don't really understand how that quarterback sees the position of quarterback because Kyler Murray is a horse. He's huge. He can run the ball in the NFL effectively. I think that Bryce Young is a lot more of a throwback pocket passer. And I think that those guys at that size have succeeded. But if you expect to see Kyler Murray, when you watch Bryce Young, even their college film look different as far as the type of offenses they played in the type of, you know, and so, but I, I, the thing that I've loved about Bryce Young is his ability to succeed in the face of adversity when it comes to his offensive coordinator being a spy, his offensive line being spies, everyone knowing that they had to shut him down because their team would simply stop running the ball at a point in time. And like, so I think that his processing is what puts him over the top and his ability to see the game from an NFL standpoint, but don't turn him into Kyler Murray, who was a good quarterback, but an elite athlete that made you see over his size. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think Bryce Young plays a game like Aaron Rodgers. And, yeah. And I like they're not going to get a physical comp or anything like that. But the Who's way on they, time. Yeah. Like the, the, their sixth sense is just you you cannot teach that. There's there's nothing like and, and I, I understand Aaron Rodgers physically from from that standpoint. He checked more boxes. You, you don't have to worry about him taking a hit in the same way that you do Bryce Young, even though we've seen him take so many hits and still get back up and be just fine after all but one of them, one or two mm-hmm. of them in his college career. Um, so from that perspective, I'm like, yeah, I look, I, I think it's more about what you're comfortable with. There are certain people who just don't want to have that every single time. And they want to feel like, okay, when my guy goes down, he's getting back up every single time. And I'm not going to feel, oh, crap, season's over. Season could be over. Season could be over. And look, could you point to that, that thing that I just brought up about the first round guys and say, well, it's never happened that way because they've never drafted someone with Bryce Young's frame. I get that. I totally get that. And again, I agree. It would be better if he were bigger. But the fact that he is still at 204 and 5'10 and a quarter – I would push back on anyone saying like he's destined to fail. Like the, the Todd McShay, I'd be terrified to draft him. Okay. That is your personal preference. That's totally fine. I get it. You understand what some of that's like on the, on the back end with GMs who are dependents on their future, being able to step up and say, okay, I'm going to give you 16 games of football, even though so few guys do. So few guys do. And it's not like Bryce is out here trying to run past the line of scrimmage and trying to make people miss in the way that Justin Fields is. And that is totally different in the way that they're constructed mentally. Justin Fields has to do that. Bryce Young doesn't have to do that. And that, I think, is what's going to be fascinating to watch is can he get to a place with those right weapons around him and get to a place where they say, all right, we're going to let you do your thing. Even if you're missing three or four games in a given year, it's still way better than the alternative. You either have a guy or you don't. That's today's NFL. Yeah, no, and I also think, I mean, I understand the size part of it. And at some level, you know, if you're 5'5", I'm sure having Jalen Carter land on you is probably not going to be good for you. But at the same time, like like you said, he's only had one really meaningful injury and he played hurt when he came back and he looked great. And, you know, you, if you compare him to the other Alabama quarterbacks, it's like it's all over the, the board, man, because like there was nothing special about Mac and he got taken early and we're seeing that now. Tua had injury questions from the jump, but I guess he was NFL size. So he just went high as heck and no one even yeah, thought about that. Back. There was and pushback on. I understand, size. but it was never like this guy can't play in the NFL. He's too small. But it's like, dude, he's never been healthy. And But you look at Bryce Young and, and also you look at Jalen and the way that Jalen was built like 
you know, a Greek god, but of course, like, oh, well, this guy can't process offenses, so he needs to go in the second round. So, like, all of it has been dumb. And I'm looking at Bryce, and I'm like, what about Bryce makes you think this guy is not able to take hits? What about him? Because, like I said, he, he like you say, he took as many sacks as Levis. His lines were bad, trust me. Like, if you guys think Alabama, you think he's getting protected by the Quanjos or whatever, I don't know what to tell you, but his lines were bad, all right? And so he was getting hit, and he only got hurt once, and, like, Hey man, like Joe Burrow got hurt once. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like it's, it's, if you think that he's soft or if you think that he doesn't have the body for it, you need to look at people's histories and the injuries they're bringing in the NFL versus like, well, this guy's short, so he must get hurt. Like, no. Yeah. 204 versus 195 was going to be like, yeah. oh my gosh. That's just, that's so silly to me. So, okay. So I know we did a, a lot of this tongue in cheek. <laughs> um, I do think the combine has a purpose. I don't mean to be that anti-combine. And like, I think it's great that we get to see these guys compete. There is 100%, like there, there is, there is an element to that, that I think is very important. There, there is like, you'd rather have your guys show up understanding what's on the line as opposed to not though. Nobody ever really talks about the fact that Michael Vick, I was watching the, um, the Vick documentary, the 30 for 30 over the weekend again. And like he admitted in there, he's like, I partied for a lot more time leading up to the combine than I was training and right. nobody ever freaked out about that because you know, two years of watching him at Virginia tech. I don't ever remember hearing about like, Oh, Michael Vick didn't do this at the combine. Like, Oh my God. So it's a different time. It's a different time in the way that we evaluate these guys, the way that they're scrutinized. And I do believe that guys can make money off of the weeks that they have. But to me, I truly believe that meeting somebody in person with, with these guys that you've never met before, using other data points from actually watching them play. I think to me that that should carry more weight and I get it. Like it's different competition. I understand there are so many different data points to measure these guys. And if you can't tell what it like, oh, this guy's in the Mountain West. So is he really just fast in the Mountain West versus being fast in the SEC? Like, okay, I get it. You should still be able to tell what NFL fast actually looks like. And if a right. guy's just benefiting from his competition. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it should be more about, am I a team drafting in hopes of getting an immediate plug and play receiver, like a complimentary receiver that I can start on day one, a Devonte Smith, who's going to be your number two immediately. I guess he was kind of like almost their number one that first year before they got AJ Brown, but you get what yeah. I'm saying. Like is Jackson Smith and Jigba still several months away from working out or is he just at the combine looking awesome? He looked awesome. Like not <laughs> sure that he made a ton of money, but that sure beats the alternative or like the, the USC offensive lineman, Andrew Voorhees, he, the guy tears his ACL doing drills at the combine. And then he's like, no, nah, I'm good. Let me knock out 38 reps of 225 on the bench. Insane. Like I, to me, that's a noteworthy revelation. I would look at a guy doing that and saying, okay, Let's talk. Okay. <laughs> what was the time frame between these two events? I think he did it the next day. Maybe he did it that day. It was like post ACL tear, just w oh. on one leg, bench 225, 38 times. Yeah, I'm taking that guy in the first round. I don't know. I don't need to know anything else. That guy's a psychopath. That's why I want a life football team. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> like, job's not done. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, like, maybe, like, dial it back, guy. Like, we got to get you rehab. <laughs> I'm not you doing something stupid here. But anyway. Sounds like, like I, it's time for chest day if my legs don't work. Right. Seriously. I, a revelation is, wow, physically superior player shows up at the combine, still looking physically superior no like no that's not it to me like the revelation is when you've done your homework on a guy and he blows you away with being really good or really bad to me that that's worth kind of freaking out about like the the maurice claret thing remember that back in the day 
That to me was a big revelation. You spent a year fighting to be eligible for the NFL draft, and then you show up totally out of shape and you run like a four <laughs> seven two and then a four eight. That's yeah. a revelation. That's like waiting outside of Google every day for a year, demanding an interview, only to finally get one. And then you walk in rocking a t-shirt and flip-flops and you're talking about like your progressive political beliefs in these <laughs> different interest groups that you're in. And you're like, oh, all right, well, blew that one. <laughs> not getting that job anytime soon. It's yeah. it's not that the combine lacks relevance. It just lacks revelations in the way that some people want it to have. And I think if it were held, I don't know, the weekend of the NCAA tournament, like first weekend of March Madness, I think we'd care a lot less about it. Yeah. I mean, that would be a funny thing to like put up against each other, right? Because there's always going to be football sickos. We are a couple of football sickos. It's oh, so yeah. funny how the NFL is like distending it. But yeah, I think. Um, so who's your number one quarterback? Bryce Young. Bryce Young. All day. Yeah. All day. And, you know, I, we've talked about it before. I, I would not give up on Justin Fields. I would still try and get a haul of picks. Trade that number one overall pick. You don't know when you're going to be in that spot again. Build around Justin Fields. He absolutely showed you enough. Even if Bryce Young ends up being the better player than Justin Fields, I'm okay. I can live with that. You still have to be able to build around him. But yeah, Bryce Young, Bryce Young going number one overall, no problem with it whatsoever. I think yeah, I think he still will. If I were betting on somebody to go number one overall, it would still be Bryce Young. The Bears are in a dream situation, right? Because some guys have Bryce number one, some guys have CJ, some people have Levis, and I guess now people have Richardson too. All those, there's only one pick. So like all those people who just call the bears, like, Hey, I don't want this team to take my guy. So I need to up this offer for Richardson. Whereas this guy wants this offer for young. This is the best time in the world of the bear situation. If they blow this man, if they blow this, I'm going to be so upset. So the Homer Simpson when they blow. Oh my God. I have, I've thought about so many of these different scenarios just because this is just so rare, like to, to be in this spot as a franchise that feels because usually if you get the number one overall pick, you just don't have this much leverage and gosh, they're going to find a way to screw it up. I know they're going to find a way to screw it up. Well, how's it going to be possible? I'm going to look back on this draft 10 years from now, and this is how it's going to play out. It's much like, uh, what is, what is it? Was it 2013 draft? I'm blanking. There's one of these drafts where if you look at the top 10 picks, it's like pro bowl, pro bowl, pro bowl, pro bowl. And then there's like one guy who's just not like hall of famer, hall of famer, hall of famer. This is going to be that. And the Bears are going to find a way to not draft the perennial franchise guy. And I know it's coming. I know it's coming, but I still need to pl- see it play out. It's it, it might be it might be 2010 because I think that was Cam, and then it was like all oh, yes, these guys, and it. then the two guys were like, "Oh gosh, who was the locker?" and uh, Lane Gabbert and <laughs> just pointed to my hair. Anyway, yeah, I'm just imagining the fast forward to Kevin Warren. Like, hey, look, you know, like whatever's out there, draft picks. You know, they could be anything, but Bitcoin. That's forever. And we got a hundred <laughs> bitcoins out of this deal. And you're just throwing your remote at the TV. Just like, why did you do that? A hundred pictures of monkeys. Why do we want that? <laughs> the revelation would be the bears doing something competent in the NFL draft right. and actually getting the haul that they absolutely deserve for this number one overall pick. So I guess maybe I should be hyping up Anthony Richardson and Will Levis and talk. There about you go. That. Come on. Yeah. No All doubters right. there. We'll do We'll do a wine 80 on that moving forward. <laughs> Anything else combine related before we kick to Sam Pittman? Man, K-Shot Booty. <laughs> we didn't even talk about him. That poor guy, he might be working with me next year. I don't know how he – it's the same deal, right? It's like, oh, you're like, you know, you said you're coming back. You said you're not coming back. You have, like, all these weird little off-the-field flags. And if he had just gone out there and tested well, it would have all gone away. But now it's like, well, now we can draw a through line to you not being prepared and all these other things that have happened. So, like, I don't know. I would still probably draft him. But there are just so many weird – not like a red flag, but like a yellow flag, if that exists. 
I don't know, five years from now when Max Johnson and Keishon Booty are just ripping up the XFL and they're just like, Max Johnson is just locked in on all things Keishon Booty and just throwing yeah. to him exclusively. That's going to be must watch. So I don't know. Get ready for that. I would like Keishon Booty to be a good NFL player because he's fun when he's right, man. When he, yeah. when he was healthy first year and a half at LSU, he was fantastic. But yeah, yikes. Talk about not exactly helping yourself and your draft stock. That was That was certainly the case for Booty. All right, uh, before we kick it to Sam Pittman, let's talk about our friends at Underdog. Haven't talked about them in a whole what? Oh, yeah, we talked about them last episode. We talk about them every episode because if you're one of those people that wants to be betting on sports, but you're in you know, one of those states that can't, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera, most of the SEC states, you know that you cannot do this without a little bit of help. Underdog is that help. Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that is extremely popular. They have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. Great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. You can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up. Throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play in these contests. Every week, every day, you can pick higher or lower for different players. Pretty similar to sports betting player props. And yes, real money. You can put real money on the line. Legal and live in all of these states. Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. Underdog is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching any sport. The comfort of your own home. You can win real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Sam Pittman. Not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Arkansas coach Sam Pittman. Uh, Sam, got to start with the obvious here. I asked you at SEC Media Days about the hog statue, so I need an update. Uh, Are people being respectful and staying off of it, or are you having to perhaps seek other options to protect your property? (laughs) Well, right now the, the lake water's down, so they can't get close to it. Uh, however, they started to fill today, so they fill uh, half a foot for ten days. So they get it up five foot, and we may have a little problem when that happens. But uh, right now, I hadn't had a problem because the lake's been down. All right, that's good. That's good to know. Uh, other important question: Your bulldog Lucy is she well, and have you personally suffered any sort of bicep-related injuries lifting her while filming videos? Uh, well, no to the last part. I've been, I've been, I've stayed pretty healthy there in the bicep area since she, she, uh, you know, tore my bicep, but, uh, Lucy's doing okay. She's 13. That's old for an English bulldog. And, uh, she's 13 and, and doing pretty good. She just had a checkup yesterday and, and, uh, it said she is the healthiest 13 year old bulldog they'd ever seen. It's probably the only one they've ever seen, but yeah, she's doing great. All right. That just made my day. That's good to know. I was worried we were going to get a bad answer. Like that's one of those questions that you ask and it was just like, I don't know if I want the answer to that. That would have just been devastating yeah. to hear. So that, that is good. Uh, you've been busy. A lot of changes for you this off season. First time in your career as a head coach in which you've had to make any sort of change at coordinator. And obviously you've had to make two. Uh, the Dan Enos move was atypical because, you know, Kendall Bryles leaves for, for TCU and you guys, announced Enos coming to Arkansas before TCU announced Kendall Bryles to TCU. And given the timing and the cycle and all of that, it was very atypical to see it play out like that. 
Can you kind of take us through that process? Because obviously, you know, Dan, and you have that rapport with him from your time together at Arkansas. But, you know, what was that process like for you knowing, all right, I've got to be able to make a hire. And usually this isn't a time when people are doing this. Well, the first first part of it was uh, um, we were when when Mississippi State had come uh, inquired about uh, Coach Browse. It was 14 days left in the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, I was very concerned about that because, you know, uh, kids, uh, some 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 do, some don't panic about, well, who's going to be my you know, next coach, so I'm just going to transfer and play for a new coach as well. You know, it doesn't make much sense. But uh, so I was concerned about that. Uh, during that time, I had reached out to Dan to see if he would might might be interested. Obviously, he and I are friends, and I worked for him basically uh, in '15 and uh, here. And uh, so I found out that there would be some interest there. Uh, I told him I didn't know if Kendall was going to take the job or not. Kendall ended up staying. Um, and uh, so I, I texted Dan back, told him, you know, there wouldn't be a job here. And and then so when uh, KB uh, decided to uh, go to TCU, it was a smooth trans transition. I, you know, I called call coach uh, up up to Maryland and then um, and uh, called Dan and, and said, hey, are you serious about it? He said, yeah. So uh, I, I did not want any transition time, none. And um, uh, because we still had – um, the portal was about to close and rumors had gotten out with uh, Coach Bryles. And, and uh, you know, Kendall uh, did what he he thought was best for him and his family, and I'm happy for him and, and uh, that he's back down in the state of Texas, back closer to home, back, back closer to his family, and I'm happy for him. But, you know, I had to be ready. I was ready. And uh, so as soon as we – we uh, knew that the transition had been made between KB and TCU. Then, and we we just, we already had Dan here uh, the night before, and so as soon as soon as uh, basically we got the resignation letter from Coach Bryles, and we announced it here. And then I don't know exactly when they announced it up there, but we announced it that it that we had hired Coach Enos. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to think about, and it, it speaks to your ability to to kind of understand these dynamics. I remember asking Sylvester Kerm about this a while ago about coaches should just have a list. They should just have this running list of people and be constantly updating it just because you never know what what sort of job is going to come open. Even if you kind of get like, all right, you know, this, this program is interested in this person. It doesn't always necessarily, you know, it doesn't always necessarily feel deliberate. Do you have like that running list of just coaches that you're like, all right, these guys, I know I work with them. I know I trust them. If I ever have position X open, I can fill it with this person. I do for most every position uh, in length. Um, you know, part of my history, certainly I've been to a lot of different uh, universities and some of the guys have moved up since I were with them, some of them's moved down uh, since I've been with them. Um, so, you know, obviously I feel a little bit stronger on the offensive side of the ball because I've sat in meetings with a lot of different people. But, um, you know, I had a pretty – I interviewed four guys for our D.C. coordinator job, and and uh, I had a nice list there. But I was just looking for guys that could recruit, guys that could coach. You know, a recruiter usually can handle his room. 
And uh, so I was looking for that. But to answer your question, yes. And and basically what I did was I kept it from my interview when I got the Arkansas job. So I had a list of, of several guys at each position uh, to talk to Mr. Juracek and um, in that committee uh, when I went to interview for an Arkansas job. And I kind of kept it, and then I just add to it of guys like, oh, okay, well, he's available now, or he's, he's, you know, because sometimes uh, it's hard to hire a guy that's hadn't had his room, even though you know that he's going to be a really good coach. And then he goes like Jimmy Smith, our running back coach here. Um, you know, he he was a high school coach. Sure, you could hire him from high school. You sure could. And But it's just easier hiring him from Georgia State because he's done it. He had success over there. So sometimes you, you've you got to change your list on availability. But sometimes it's, hey, I really can hire him because look at what he's done at this level, at a Division One a level. I think KJ is the best returning quarterback in the SEC, but obviously it, it is going to be a bit of a transition to, you know, to go from what Kendall ran to what Dan Enos is ultimately going yeah. to run. And just besides maybe the the pass run balance, because we're talking about probably increasing those passing attempts, just, you know, that that's typically what he's done. What differences should we kind of expect to see schematically? Well, I think we'll, we'll check checked plays more than we have in the past, you know, KB will run that fast pace offense and, and to, to be to in credit to that offense, it's got answers to, to every, everything happening. The answers are not pre-snap they're post-snap, you know? And uh, so uh, a little bit uh, more complicated on the offensive line, I would say uh, Dan's style, um, uh, certainly, uh, we're in a pro style offense where the mic's the mic, and and obviously we can push um, the point by looks. But uh, certainly, uh, we're able to teach our kids a professional style of offense, which I think would have some great benefits, and it's going to benefit KJ. Uh, we still obviously going to run KJ uh, because that's what he does. That's part of his game, and. Uh, uh, he's our go-to guy in those times, but I think it's going to enhance his um, ability to get drafted high simply because he's going to understand the program and pro game and be able to get in front of these scouts and these different people and sit down and coaches and talk about his knowledge of the game. I think this will uh, benefit him as well. I thought he got better last year. And I know, yeah. you know, you look at the cumulative numbers, then you kind of realize, all right, he did it in two less games. Just yeah. some of the throws that he made, I I, I did see that year-to-year -year progression. And even though he was banged up for part of the year, I thought he took those next steps. Did you feel like you saw kind of a different side of him in his second year as a starter? I did. Uh, I think his confidence level was, was sky high. Uh, I don't think people realized how – beat up he was uh and you know his chest uh, uh certainly played uh, very very timid against liberty they had a great game plan against us but he 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 wasn't near himself um and then we lost him for another two games and and uh still had very good numbers and when he was healthy he was healthy i mean you could you could see it out there and uh, we have addressed that too because we've had to get somebody in my opinion, that is ready to go in case something did happen to KJ. We Our schedule, we haven't been good enough to play very many kids. You know, last year against Auburn, we were able to play maybe a quarter uh, at the end of the game with, with some of our reserve players. Um, but 
you know, we haven't had an opportunity to get other quarterbacks on the field and hopefully we'll have a little bit better team and be able to get some guys out there to help KJ and uh, take him off the field some, you know, towards the end of games. But right now he's played every rep that there is in every game, you know. The hope is that obviously he and Rocket can continue to be that one-two punch, and which was special when they, when they were both healthy and on the field. What's maybe a, a story that that, that kind of stands out with Rocket that, that sort of encapsulates who he is and and what he became ultimately in his second season? Well, I know Bryce Stevens returned a punt against Missouri State. I mean, we were down seventeen to nothing at some point in that game, and and uh, I know Bryce sparked us. But the little shovel pass to uh, Rocket when he went 85, I mean, that was that was huge. Uh, you know, going 40, 45 isn't seven points. Going 85 is. There's a difference. And not many guys that weigh 235 pounds can take it that distance. And I, I that that one stuck out to me. And then uh, certainly the Ole Miss game, I mean, he had a, he had a career day um, here, <clears throat> excuse me, here against Ole Miss and did it in, you know, a little less than three quarters. First one, how does he rank just in terms of the running backs that you've seen? You've seen some darn good ones. I got to imagine seeing the way that he was able to to break free and not, not just have, oh, you know, he's benefiting from volume. Like the breakaway stuff to me is kind of a game changer of what set him apart from so many backs last year. Well, I think his style's more like Nick Chubbs than maybe Sony's or or Swift or some of those guys we had, Parker, who are, you know, on and on list of guys that our old line's been able to block for uh, when I coached offensive line. Um, <clears throat> but he's he does have that breakaway. I remember in 2000, uh, I believe it was, it was 15 or 14, uh, we played Georgia and Little Rock, and we were all – Excited because Gurley wasn't playing. Well, we we didn't know all about Nick Chubb, and I remember he ran a power play, and I thought towards our, on our sideline, and I thought, well, that's that's going to get ten or fifteen yards, and then it was like a rocket, and he went however however far the big nice choice was. of words too there, yeah. rocket. I see what you did yeah, there, <laughs> no doubt, and and those are some things I think that make back special, and I think with with rocket speed, I. You know, a lot of guys can do what he does. They can, uh, but not a lot of them can run the distance at that size. And I'm not comparing – I I guess I am comparing his running style to Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's one of the – I love him, uh, great back, but comparable about work ethic and doing what you're supposed to do and and, uh, being a great team leader and all those things. He and Nick were – uh, as good they are, as good as uh, as I've ever been around. I know coaches don't really think this way, but I felt like KJ's fumble against AM, that that play was just so weird. And it felt like such a sliding doors moment for your season. Do you look back on that as, as a turning point or is it just kind of an easy narrative for, for people like myself who had these high expectations and like, hey, I think this Arkansas team is going nine and three? No, I think I think you're right. Um, um, it was um, it deflated us more and longer than what I what certainly anybody wanted it to. You know, we were at the time uh, we were we were starting to get beat up in the secondary. We'd lost a couple of starters back there, and but we were playing extremely well in that game. I think we was getting ready to go up maybe three scores, and uh, and uh, that three scores turned it turned around to be. 
a three-point lead, I believe. And uh, so, or two scores at least. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think it uh, affected us during that game, maybe more than just after the game. I think winning that game could have propelled us into something really special. Uh, last year it didn't. And then we've got to figure out how to how to get our team back faster than what we did last year. And it just seemed after that game that injury upon injury upon injury, uh, especially in secondary, and then it started turning over to the quarterback. And uh, certainly our team was quarterback-driven. Um, he's the best player on our team. And uh, so that that hurt us as well. How brutal is that when teams know they're banged up in the secondary they have limited options. If they can't get home and if you couldn't get home with, you know, Dominic or Sanders or these guys yeah. or, or Bumper, like we can get them over the top. Like that has to change so much of your game plan. Well, it does. And to be perfectly honest with you, it changes the way that you coach with a lead and it changes the way that you coach uh, from behind. I mean, it really does. Um, um, you know, with a lead and your secondary is not playing well, uh, you just don't want to give the ball back to them, you know, and without time coming off the clock and things of that nature. And and uh, so it really changes the way that you call a game, I guess, you know. Um, we did, you know, I remember uh, we went into the BYU game last year and we were running a four, four-man line. Um, we were playing some type of quarters, some type, type of two, cover six, and uh, we couldn't cover them. And uh, I remember I told Barry, I said, I don't care if they rush for 400 yards, get another guy back in the secondary. And fortunately, I believe uh, Clark picked a pass right before halftime. And I think we went in with, I don't know, seven or 10 point lead. I can't remember. And then after that, we took over the football game. But there are times, too, when, like, we're playing Mississippi State and I'm going, hey, we got to get out of this three-man line. Well, the problem is we we really hadn't practiced a tremendous amount of four down because we were so afraid of Coach Leach's offense uh, that we, we at times, we didn't make the enough adjustments. Uh, if we started the game well, we, we played pretty well. And if we didn't, we didn't, we didn't necessarily adjust well. And I think a lot of it uh, was – we just didn't have the personnel at times going into games. I think expectations are all relative. And I think Arkansas fans a few years ago, if you had told them that seven and six would be a disappointment, they'd be like, whoa, we must have done some really good things in the first two years with Sam as, as our head coach. But you know, I was kind of wondering about this because you've been a part of so many different rises over the course of the last decade, meaning, you know, first three years with Lamar at Arkansas, obviously there for the first part of Kirby at Georgia, this unbelievable rise to continue to to, to develop and, and upgrade their talent level. And then obviously what you've been a part of those first two years at Arkansas, but was it, was it one of the tougher years in year three for you to, to kind of look back and be like, ah, man, this is one of the first times in which it felt like those expectations weren't necessarily met. And you kind of saw the difference between maybe the rise and what it's like to not, not be able to meet those expectations. Yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, when you look back and you lose four games by nine points, um, it's tough. I mean, it just is. And uh, and the names of the schools are schools that uh, are powerhouses in, in college football. And you're going, you know what? It was our opportunity to win, and we didn't. You know, LSU comes to mind. You know, obviously, KJ didn't get to play, but our defense played extremely well. And we, you know, certainly had a great chance to win. 
Um, yes, um, uh, those things are are disappointing. Um, having a winning season, winning a bowl game, uh, when they become uh, disappointing here at Arkansas, uh, I'm not going to say that's a good thing because it was disappointing to me too. Uh, however, the expectations have uh, rose or have gotten much higher uh, in a very short period of time. But I will say this, the one of the most gratifying wins that we had, not just last year, but in the three years I've been here, was the bowl game. You know, we went into the bowl game with seven starters out, lost two, lost Rocket and Tykees Crawford early in that game. And so that's nine of your 22, and we're able to beat a team that was, you know, lost to seven to, to the national runner-up, a team that had a lot, sort of like us, uh, two years ago, you know, going into the Outback Bowl, we were we were a team you probably didn't want to play at that point, and KU was kind of that way. And to go in there and win, uh, we got our team back and uh, go in there and win the game. I thought that was a really good, great job by uh, my assistant coaches and and the players and getting them ready to play. I don't want to get you in trouble here, but the targeting call in that game. It made me mad watching it in real time because of the lack of context. And then when you hear them talk about afterwards, ah, yeah, we messed that up. It's like, yeah, that's what everybody was saying while watching this. The context sometimes. On that, on that I think, um, you know, we're human. We all make mistakes. Um, but if we're going to have replay, it needs to be right. And uh, if we're going to go to replay, it needs to be right. And I felt like, obviously, I wasn't happy with a few calls going it going from replay. Um, but we play this game to win or lose. That's what we do. Our kids do, our coaches do, our fans do. And uh, if we're going to go to replay, let's get it right because it's a big deal to a lot of people. And the ones most, most concerning in my mind are the ones out there on the field. So uh, were there some disappointments there? I, I would have to say yes. Um, but fortunately – our kids hung in there, and and uh, we were able to win the game. Yeah, to have that play called on the goal line is just baffling. And those are my words. You don't have to say that. I realize that there's a certain line well, that you got to be able to. You're taking the lead on this one, buddy. Gladly, all day. Um, I, I want to get you out of here with some rapid fire. Just first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah. All right, first one. Uh, your cold beer of choice lately is what? Miller Lite. Wasn't it Coors Light at one point? Yeah, but those big mouth bottles of Miller Lite, are, they're hard to get. They got them in Curse Light, too, but you asked me, Miller Lite. Okay, that's a good answer. Uh, true or false, Bumper Pool is somehow actually staying in college and he'll have 120 tackles for his 12th consecutive year. <laughs> uh, that was false. Oh, that's sad. That's a great okay. question. All right, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, should Horns Down be a punishable offense when Texas joins the SEC? No. Agreed. Uh, if I gave you the opportunity to add another non-hog statue to your property, what would it be? Non-hog? It can't be uh, a bulldog. hog. Bulldog. Okay, that's good. That's really good, well, actually. I've, I've got Lucy. There's actually, in my house, we call it the Bulldog Suite because Jamie got a bulldog picture of Lucy, a big one, and she's got some bulldog ceramics and stuff. And we say, hey, when people come on the, at the lake, Hey, you've got the bulldog suite, and that's just what it is. But yeah, I've I've loved bulldogs, so it'd be a bulldog. 
Is it like, do you have like bulldog figurines all over the place too? Is it like really decked out in bulldog stuff? There's five or six bulldogs in that room. Yes. It's, <laughs> there's plenty of bulldogs running around in that room. I don't know why. Um, well, you have to ask Jamie. <laughs> Looks good though. All right. Speaking of bulldogs, last one for you. Uh, you said last year after, after Georgia won it all that you texted Kirby, just badass. Uh, what did you text him this time? You know, this time, I think it was just more of a congratulations. I mean, they had overwhelmed, you know, TCU. So, it, you know, badass wasn't really appropriate, you know, this year. Um, but I pretty much think they, they knew what they were going to be able to do when they walked out there that day. And uh, the man's as good a football coach as there is. And, and, and uh, I'm – but I didn't answer your question. I I, I just I, I think I probably just called him, told him congrats this year, and talked to him a little bit. Love it, love it, Sam. This has been great. Really appreciate the time. Best of luck with everything this year. All right, buddy. Thanks for the interview. I appreciate you. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and brash. Let's talk some SEC tournament. Will I'm fully in hoops mode right now switch like it has been the switch has been flipped we are all in with basketball we're still going to be talking football because that's what we do 365 days a year saturdaydownsouth.com shameless plug but i'm going to be honest it helps to flip the switch into hoops mode when you have a dog in the fight and don't you know it i got one i got one who's your dog in the fight cotter when it's your alma mater (laughs) It's definitely your dog. That is, that is your puppy. That's a dog, um, right? <laughs> that's a dog. That's a dog. Look, not saying Indiana is going to win a national championship. I'm not saying anything like that. But, I mean, it is the first time in seven years that they might actually have Sweet 16 upside. I just mm-hmm. wanted a, all, a win, a massive win, satisfied with this season. Like, won't feel that angst for a while. Elite Eight. That's what I want. Not Final Four, not saying not saying got to get to a national championship, anything. No, no, no. Give me an Elite Eight run. Arkansas fans know this. When you have a Final Four berth that's on the line in a game, it just like the electricity, like a regional final is so incredible. It is so unbelievably tense because you just, you could start to picture what it's, what it would look like for your team playing in the football stadium and they do the weird camera angles in the Final Four yeah. and like there's just a place that you go mentally that I, it is just so much fun about the NCAA tournament. So I'm, I'm not going to be sitting here pretending like Indiana is, is about to shock the world elite eight run. Just, just give me that. They haven't done that since 2002. I wasn't even a fan of Indiana basketball in 2002. Will I was rooting for Maryland in that national championship. It's bad. Do you, uh, do you think there's a possibility that you have cursed Indiana basketball? Do you think this predates you? Do you think that that, that funk, overshadows you no I, look okay well now that i think about it crap um you I were there I... for one for the last good year though honestly so you may have an anti they may need to hit you up and try to get you like a, a some type of a doctorate no they went to they went to a sweet 16 seven years ago they beat kentucky in the second round yeah. and won the big 10 that year and had a year that wasn't quite what it was in 2012 2013 when they had oladipo and zeller like that that year was special and indiana was a one seed and was you know supposed to be the best 
Indiana team of the post-night era, but um, Tom Crean forgot that Syracuse would play his own in the Sweet 16. So, um, Who know. among us has ever forgotten? You know, who hasn't forgotten? I I know every time I watch March, er, March Madness and I sign up for a Syracuse game, I expect high-scoring games, you know? Theme of the day is revelations. It was a revelation to Indiana basketball that Syracuse came out in that zone with Jim Beheim. You're right. Who could have thought? Um, but yeah, look, I might have cursed them because the day that I decided that they were that I was going to Indiana, I'll never forget this. It was 2008. College game day was at Indiana that day. It was a Saturday morning, and then mm-hmm. it was they were playing Michigan State that night, and it was DJ White. It was Eric Gordon, and then the season fell apart, and the Kelvin Sampson scandal happened very shortly after with the cell phone thing, which actually isn't even illegal now. So that's a whole right. source of angst because Indiana went into the toilet for three years as a result of that, which is just ridiculous. Now Calvin Sampson is coaching the number one team in the country, but you get what I'm saying. Um, I'm over that. What I just need to see, I just need to see this team have a deep run and you know, that championship window. And I hesitate to even call it that because it's not a championship window. It is a relevance window. Indiana's got, Trace Jackson Davis, one of the best Indiana players ever. Nobody cares about this, I realize. Jalen Hutchifino is going to the NBA. is like a stud point guard. Like he, He's great. Like This is the team. And when you sense it and you know, you have to capitalize right now. And if you don't, the pain that you will feel as a sports fan of, oh my God, we're not getting back to this for a long time, is such a frustrating thing to have to process. So I'll ask you this. When was the last time that you truly felt, okay, I am all in. I this this is going to break me. I'm putting myself out there. I'm going to be crushed if this team doesn't achieve, achieve this level of success. Um. Okay. So <laughs> honestly, it was probably we've talked about this a little bit. I had family friends growing up who were Kentucky fans who like showed me college basketball, and so I was really big on the their undefeated team with Cat and Booker. And them losing to Wisconsin just absolutely killed me because nobody was rooting for them at that point. They were the villains and everything. And the worst, funny, the worst, like, kind of sadness I've had was also Kentucky. It was the John Wall team when they lost to West Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just imagine, um, what's his name? The the dude, of course, his name escapes me, but their coach that had been there forever and had been in Cincinnati. He, like, yes, yes. It was just, like, grabbing one of those players by the face. I was just like, this can't be real because I was so in on John Wall. We talked about John Wall as, like, the first player I, I, like, am aware of from the time he was in high school to the time he, I guess, ends his career. And so, yeah, I, I think that those were the two. And I think Kentucky fans probably agree that those are cows, you know, other than it feels like those teams were better than 2012, but somehow they just didn't get as far as 2012 or 2014 did, which is also really weird anyway. Yeah. And I don't know that. I mean, I think there's a certain like for Kentucky fans this year, I, I don't necessarily know that they feel that way now. I think if you would ask them in November, knowing that she weighs is going to be off to, to the NBA after this year, it would have been a little bit different, especially coming off the, the St. Peter's loss, but it's also that, that context of having the number one class coming in is also just one of those things. that's always just going to be in the back of your mind. If you're at a place where that's not the case and you feel like, Oh man, we really got to hit it big. This, this is the team that's destined for a run. Uh, you know, that feeling and that, that, Right now is when everything starts to just feel that much bigger. Like I'm sitting here on on Sunday night and that game, you know, if if anybody watched the Indiana Michigan game that was on that was on CBS, that was that was in that went into overtime wherein um a certain race Thompson went full Nick Anderson, missed four free throws in the final minute of overtime. Uh nobody's gonna get that reference either. But 
Like those moments for whatever reason in college basketball, they, they drive you to, to some different places in your soul. They just do. And I don't know what about it. Like college football doesn't in that sense, because you always just, I, at least I feel like you always have a little bit more of a realistic sense of what's possible. And because there's so much more that's possible in college basketball, you leave that little part of your brain to think just, just what if, what if never say never it's possible. It can happen. I don't know. That's just the the sucker in me. It's good to see that you've already got the Indiana experience. I know. <laughs> I hate this. I hate this. As you start to buy it, they're already like, are you sure, everybody? All the red flags are coming out. It's I like, know. Yeah, my, my credit score is 12, actually. I drive a hoopty. You're like, no, 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 no. It's all good. Yes. Um, okay, SEC tournament. I, I've got my full uh, full predictions Saturday down south. Those are, those are dropping Tuesday morning. I think anybody but Bama winning the SEC tournament would qualify as bold. Because I think two through 10 in the SEC is kind of all over the place. Like that's been a little yeah. bit the story of the year. And the fact that like, I mean, as you'll see in my predictions, I, I said two through 10 for a reason. So I, I'm very hopeful that that's going to set up for perhaps a fun SEC tournaments. I am cautiously optimistic that that will be the case. Um, do you have any bold or brash predictions for, for the SEC tournament? Ellis, you going to win a game? You know, man, those guys, I, every time I turn on my television, I am Sorry. disappointed. I keep trying. I turned it on against Mizzou. I was let down. Yeah. I turned it on against Florida. I was let down. I'm just letting you guys know I'm trying. I just, my life is going too well right now to deal with this terrible team. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm actually really big on both A&M um, and Kentucky. I think that Sheway is going to have some real, like, cause some real problems in March. And as you start to see, you know, if you look at the Big 12, they had one big man in their first three all-conference teams. You just don't really see big men as much anymore and a guy like Shibuya whereas every coach used to coach fundamentals about how to defend a guy like that now it's just become kind of like a dinosaur so I think in college that guy's gonna be really hard to beat whenever he needs to get a bucket and he's so good at that and I think A&M um you know like Wade Taylor that like very like uh like like the selfless kind of style that they play I love their story so yeah I think that like both of those teams could could obviously like pull an upset I think that Alabama kind of has just like this cloud over them so to your point like they'll probably still be the favorites but I think that it is setting up to have some type of an upset if that makes sense yeah no I, I think that's that's very much on the table it is interesting I was looking at I was looking at the numbers I always think it's interesting to to try and figure like try and handicap what does it mean if your team doesn't get a double buy or something like that? I mean, that because the tournament setting is so unique and that you could end up being a team like AM last year who ends up playing four games in four days and having this ridiculous yeah. run 2007, 2008, Georgia, like the, you know, the, the tornado team that, that was able to go through and, and win, even though they're in last place in the SEC. Like, I so since the conference expanded to, uh, to 14 teams. There have been a possible so nine years of SEC tournaments, eighteen possible spots in the championship game. Sixteen of the eighteen have had a double buy. Sixteen of eighteen. Yeah. The only the only two haven't. A and M last year, and then Auburn when Auburn um, rolled through in twenty nineteen and won that one, and then ended up only getting a five seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, which was just absolutely absurd. Still, obviously, went on to the final four, and you know correct double dribble call away from going to a national championship. Of course. Who so this that? Let's go to the Saturday down South podcast, Facebook group. We have a lot of good responses here. Let's start with this one from Austin Foster. Austin says Arkansas starts putting it together and wins the whole tourney. I am talking myself into Arkansas way too much. 
way, mm -hmm. way too much. And I keep pointing to, ah, this is what Musk does. He figures it out late in the year. This is a team that has been one step forward, two steps back all year. Like I thought after they went into Rupp, they won that game against Kentucky. It's like, all right, we're going to see Arkansas flip it into overdrive. They're going to be a team nobody wants to play down the stretch. And they lose three straight. Yeah. Three straights in the regular season. And you're kind of like, eh. They and need the rat poison, Connor. They need a little rat poison. Like they could they could very easily lose that that first game to Auburn. And you're kind of just like, ah. Eh. But I have them going to the SEC championship. That's my bold and brash prediction as well. And I'm I know I'm gonna regret that. I absolutely know it. Um, and I'm gonna look like a total moron. I'm gonna say, why did I buy into this wildly inconsistent team that has just been Struggling to figure out with injuries and with the right rotations, what exactly that looks like. But I don't know. I've talked myself into Devo Davis having one of those just breakout games in like a semifinal or something like that. And they just look like the team that we thought they were, that they were going to look like when they were, you know, going toe to toe with Creighton back in that cramped gym in Maui back in the, what was that December, November? I can't remember when that was, but mm -hmm. yeah, I've talked myself in Arkansas way too much. And let's just say I agree with Austin. Yeah, I mean, the, the teams are in kind of a weird position, right? Because you have these coaches in, you know, Bruce Pearl and Musselman who have been there before, but their teams are a little bit like having like kind of mid-years, not really down years. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be shocking at all if they went on a run, if Auburn went on a run, because a lot of the guys at the top are a little bit more new money other than Kentucky. I mean, Alabama's been good, but they haven't been like this level of like favorite one seed, da-da-da. So like it's always interesting to see how guys are going to handle those expectations because you know that Auburn and Arkansas coaches their guys a certain way to where this has not been an issue for them in the past. Yeah, and I have, for for what it's worth, I have Arkansas meeting Alabama in, in the championship game. Mm -hmm. Essentially, Arkansas would have to beat Auburn, A&M, and then like – Kentucky or Vandy? Kentucky or Vandy? I, <laughs> One of the two. Yeah, probably. That open. I, I have Vandy beating Kentucky. That's another bold and brash prediction as well. And definitely I'm I, I'm fully admitting I'm playing too much into regular season results. I realize Vandy lost their leading scorer. They also lost their leading scorer, uh, that seven-footer, uh, Liam Robbins. They lost him in the middle of that Kentucky game too. So not exactly like, oh, they're struggling without him. Really good. Really good mm -hmm. the last couple months here. So um, I've talked myself into Vandy as well. Vandy being the hometown team as everybody refers to them as this time of year. Um, even though Kentucky fans will probably have them outnumbered though. Who are we kidding? They're definitely going to have them outnumbered in Nashville. That's guaranteed. Um, right. But yeah, I think that ends up being a really, really good game on Friday in the quarterfinals. Um, let's go to Dave Kozart. Dave, Dave definitely agrees with you. He says, Buzz Williams, uh, since he's pictured here, I'll go with A&M winning it in Tennessee, losing early. So AM, their path seems brutal, even though I just described why Arkansas has the path to be able to do it. But will the will the winner of Auburn, Arkansas be favored against AM? Mm, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, know. we can kind of talk ourselves into that for the exact reason I was just talking about. That's gonna be a good game. Ken Palm loves 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 Arkansas too. That's another reason why I've talked to myself in the Hogs. Net ranking, Ken oh, Palm, yeah. like the metrics favor the hogs. They do. Um, but yeah, I think last year seeing the way that that team kind of showed up in that spot, us against the world, AM has kind of embodied that, even though they sucked in non-conference play, they've kind of been that us against the world, never bet against Buzz Williams. We don't do that. Uh, but getting to that, getting to that place in consecutive years would be very, very impressive. Tennessee losing early. So if there is a 
time of year in which you don't want to lose your starting point guard, I'd say March is it. Um, yeah, Adam Spencer brought this up a month ago when he had him on. He said Mizzou is the exact type of team that could beat Tennessee just because they can shoot the lights out. They can go over the top, and all of a sudden an eight-point lead feels like you just can't come back from that because that's just not the way that Tennessee operates their offense, and they're a little bit slower with their tempo. And obviously it's all about defense with them. But, yeah, I – it's hard to to sit here and say that Tennessee is set up for a deep run. I was trying to think if there's a football comp to Rick Barnes. Like is it Lincoln Riley? Um that's not a bad one. <laughs> it's not a bad one. It's not, but it's like Lincoln Riley if 20 years from now he's still just the guy who's the, the second tier guy. Like, he's got like a little yeah. bald spot on his head. His brother is like national coach of the year and he's just like I got to get this first playoff win dog. Yeah. I would I like maybe Brian Kelly. I mean, uh, Brian Kelly's not a bad one either, I'll be honest. Because yeah, I mean they kind of just do their thing out there and then they get to the third it's like uh. <laughs> Yeah, like you get on that big stage. I don't know. And I mean, Brian Kelly's the best one, right? Because he left that to go to the SEC. And if he does make it, it will be here. Yeah, it's actually a really good one. Yeah. I don't know. There, there's not an exact comp. That's gonna upset somebody by by me saying that. But yeah, Rick Barnes is a very, very unique spot because certainly better with him. No doubt about it, Tennessee is, but like uh, the, the March issues and obviously Ziegler getting hurt is not on him. That's not what I'm saying. But if they were to go from being a top 10 team to all of a sudden, like, Oh, you lose early in the SEC tournament. And then you get upset in the first round of the NCAA tournament. You get to answer those questions again. That would not be ideal. Feels um, like things have just been generally going a little bit too well for Tennessee for what we expect and a little bit too poorly for Kentucky for what we expect. I feel like we're due for a little bit of Tennessee fan disappointment and Kentucky fan happiness is all I'm going to say. Water's going to find its level with that. Exactly. Kentucky, Kentucky owns Tennessee. That would be an interesting uh, an interesting championship. I don't know that both of those teams will be able to make it all the way there. Uh, speaking of Kentucky, Grant Haney says, Kentucky wins it all and everyone starts buying into Big Blue Nation and Coach Cal. Just to be eliminated in uh, in Drake in the opening round, maybe by Drake. By Drake, yeah. Um, thus proving the Drake curse is real <laughs> and defeated. <laughs> uh, other bold predictions: Tennessee is ousted in its first game, uh, heating Rick Barnes's coaching seat. Bama loses to the aforementioned Wildcats in the championship, but then doesn't lose again the rest of the tournament season. Grant Grant saying Bama's winning it all. Bama's winning the title. Yeah. Look, uh, SEC hasn't had a one seed since 2015, which is weird to think about. What was the last time? What was the last time we really went into went into uh, an NCAA tournament saying, yep, this team, one of the two or three favorites? Actually, it was last year with Kentucky. That was a dumb question. Um, <laughs> there you go. Hey, there's the how answer, easily, folks. How easily we forget. There has not really been a lot of those in the last six, seven years. There hasn't been. Bama should probably be that team. Have everything that you would want. Everything that you would, that you would want. Um, and there's there's always that old, like the spin zone, the turning point, getting ousted in the conference championship. How much does it really mean if you're a team that's going to be a one seed anyways? Is there any way that Bama doesn't get a one seed in the NCAA tournament? Like, no, I think, yeah. Probably good. I would I would assume that Bama is good at this stage of the game. Um, net ranking loves the tide. Absolutely loves the tide. I would assume that they're they're going to be locked in for that. Uh, let's do one more here. Uh, Jared Brown says Mizzou and AM continue their surprise seasons, end up in the championship game. One last battle of the Big Twelve before the new teams join. <laughs> I love that. That would be That'll a be really 
that would be a really um, unsexy uh, championship game, but that'd be kind of like the us against the world. The how do you like me now? Uh, SEC championship playing out. The Thanos thing. Oh, all of your failure is brought you back to me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like they're looking back at each other. Like here we are. Exactly. That'd be a great year one for, uh, for Mizzou. Uh, right, let's do lad of the week. Can I start? Uh, let me start real quick. So I just want to say, uh, this is a very easy one. Now that you've told me about this, this lad from USC, it should probably be him. But um, it's going to be Darnell Washington, man. It's, it's a slam dunk, but I think not because of what he was able to do in the combine. It's because of what he what he did in being a teammate first, and then kind of you know letting other guys get the shine. He was never seen as this you know this franchise chaining tight end until he started getting measured and he knew that about himself that's the thing when you're in the weight room with him when you when you know you you have a pretty good sense of self and he knew he was six seven he knew he was massive he knew he had all these measurables and he didn't get out there and pout and demand a trade and say i gotta do this he was viewed as a blocking tight end and then when the you know when the pads came off when we got out there when the lights turned on he was able to cash in on all of this stuff and now he has this first round upside after being a guy who has been known as a teammate first. So I think, you know, we talked about in a lot of the week betting on yourself, but I think this is a good example of sometimes it's good to be a team first guy because, you know, he could have been one of the, the better tight ends in college football history. If he had gone to a pass first offense that, that, you know, if after a year or two, he was like, you know what, I'm just going to go to Oklahoma and figure it out. His, his name would be everywhere, but it was more important to him to be a winner to finish where he started. And I think he's about to make a ton of money, maybe even more so than Brock Bowers when it's all said, because he has these crazy measurables, man. So good for him. Send me anybody that says Darnell Washington's not going to be a good tight end in the NFL because he wasn't the best tight end on his own team. Um, send me those people. Send them my way. Right. Would love to set them straight. Just have a chat. Just have a chat. Um, okay, I'm going to go with your boy, John, because John produced the <laughs> podcast all last week. Uh, Dan, our, our normal producer, was in Hawaii. Will, of course, is I would say you're the backup producer at this point. You could add that right. to your resume as well. Um, but yeah, you were obviously um, very, very busy with your full-time gig coast to coast. But yeah, John was in the Rockies just trying to make sure that we didn't skip a beat. So shout out to John. He's the man. He made it happen. Made this thing go. Um, yeah, great pod. I think that about does it for today. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at the SBS, at the SBS pod, at Set Down South. Subscribe to our basketball newsletter, Blue Chip Grit. You can do that at bluechipgrit.com. Join the Facebook group and do the name Red on Air with figuring out your golden brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.